Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise the song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, when Christ was born, the babe, the son of Mary. If you haven't figured it out by now, we are following the verses of what child is this in our midweek devotions, and we're at our last Advent midweek service, so it's the last verse of what child is this that we're focusing on. The hymn writer Yaroslav Vajda beckons us to consider who exactly it is that's in the manger, what we're looking at when we look at that baby placed in the manger. Because Paul, through his letter to the Colossians, is exploring the same question. I'm not sure if Yaroslav had Colossians in mind when he wrote the hymn, but it doesn't matter. Because the theme of Colossians in the Bible is, what child is this? Who is Jesus? What is this all about? What, ha- what just happened when Jesus was born and placed in the manger? And the way that you answer that question has an eternity of importance. What child is this could very well be the most important question anyone has ever asked. And so Paul wants to answer it for the Colossians and for you and for me and see not only who this child is, but what that means to us. Because the Colossians were in desperate need to hear who this child was, to be firmly rooted in exactly the identity of this baby placed in a feeding trough. Because they were a bit confused, as are many of the congregations that Paul and the apostles wrote letters to that are now in the Bible The Greek city called Colossae used to be an important city. It wasn't really anymore. There were tons of people in Colossae that still worshipped those old Greek gods that you see in a certain Disney movie, Zeus and Poseidon and Hades and all those people still being worshipped. And that's where the Colossian Christians were before faith in Christ. There was a strong pull to stay in a familiar way of life, worshipping those gods, praying to spirits, all that stuff. But at the same time, there was this new pressure that as they got into Christianity, which had ties to Judaism, they were confused. Some people were giving them the message that they should follow the Old Testament law and observe the Sabbath days and the new moon festivals and all this stuff. So it was like they were being pulled in two different directions between old pressures and new. They were confused and they were distressed. And Paul wrote this letter to set their minds at ease. And the way that he did that was by focusing on one thing throughout the letter. One thing. Who is Jesus? Who exactly is Jesus Christ? Because when you have that figured out, all your problems and confusions and anxieties kind of just settle into their own place. So, who is Jesus? 
Is he a name that we slap on a bracelet or on a t-shirt? Is he a symbol symbolized by the cross that you can get tattooed somewhere to show that you care about Jesus? Is Jesus a mentor? Can you follow him on Twitter? Is he a wise guy? Is he one spiritual guru among many? Is he one God, one option, one religion among many viable options? And Paul says it right there. He says, when you look at Christ, this is the image of the invisible God. That all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. I know at the question, who is Jesus, a lot of you reliably had those catechism answers come up in your head right away, right? Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. He's the Son of God. He's 100% true God. He's 100% true man. And all that stuff is good stuff. You should know that stuff. And it's good that you have it recited and memorized and able to recite it on command. But realize that Paul is interested in a lot more than recitations. He's interested in a lot more than just doing a theological dissertation on the deity of Christ. No, Paul's goal throughout Colossians for you and me is to see what this means for us. Not only answering the question, what child is this, but why should we care? And what he says is this is the image of the invisible God placed in that manger who grew up and walked on earth and lived and ate and drank and breathed and died. You realize how incredibly absurd that is? How just jaw-droppingly paradoxical that is, that placed in a manger is the same God whose glory was so overwhelming and powerful that anyone who looked at it would die. The same God whose presence was so overwhelming and powerful that in the Holy of Holies, the part of the temple that was seen to be where God dwelt, no one could enter unless under the strictest of regulations. Otherwise, they would die. And that's the same God who you can hold in your arms, who you can stare into his little eyes, you can hear him, you can hold him, you can see him. He is the image of the incomprehensible, invisible, powerful, overwhelming God here in a local place. He is the God who, that, that means that when Jesus nursed, he w when Jesus took his first steps, when Jesus said his first words, when Jesus opened his mouth and used his human little tongue and vocal flaps to be able to make sounds, he was vo giving voice to the same voice that spoke creation into being thousands and thousands of years before he was born. That when he spent time with his mother, he was spending time with someone that he himself had a hand in creating. That means that when Jesus was born into this world, this little tiny baby, everything in the world belongs to him because he created it. That means he has the ultimate authority that there was no one higher than him, no one more powerful than him. And just like when a teenager is up to no good, home alone at his parents' house, and he sees those headlights pull into the driveway, and his parents are back way sooner than he thought they would, and his heart explodes and sinks, and he goes and he hides. 
Your Jesus is our God, our creator, the one to whom we owe everything, the one to whom we must account for our sins, and he appears. And he's here at the most unexpected time, walking among us. How in the world is this good news? Because this is the same God when stuff like this happens. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah? When those angels came and walked among the human race to check out Sodom and Gomorrah, what did they do next? They destroyed the cities with fire from heaven. Or before the Israelites escaped slavery in Egypt, the angel of death roamed the Egyptian cities seeking and destroying human life. And this is much more than an angel. This is all the fullness of the deity dwelling in bodily form. The king of the universe who has all that power and all that wrath against sin. And we know a few things about power and about kings and the way that they show force. We know how important it is to a government budget to spend money on defense. How important it is that when you are threatened, when your kingdom is threatened, to show force and to react without prejudice, right? So here Jesus is in all his power, in all his glory, in bodily form, and he is here to wage war, only not against you, but against the guilt of your sin. Because this God, this, this deity, the one true God, came down to redeem his creation. He is the merciful God, the God who created you out of love because he wanted you to be here and wanted a relationship with you, who loved you so much that when you abandoned him through your sin, he launched this rescue mission to bring you back to him. I encourage you to, to open up and look back at the lesson and to just count how many ways the Apostle Paul describes what Christ has done for you and me. He has rescued us from the dominion, the kingdom of darkness, and brought us into a new kingdom, the kingdom of love. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. He has reconciled us to God. He has paid the penalty for our sins. He has forgiven us by his blood. What did Jesus get you for Christmas? Nothing short of your very self. He gave you your life back. Because Jesus, King Jesus, God Jesus, rode into enemy territory when you were under the full control of darkness and sin and Satan himself, and you were powerless to do anything about it. King Jesus was born into this world to save sinners, just like you and me. And he grabbed you with his love, and he rode out of that enemy kingdom back to his fortress to keep you safe and secure. You and I owed a huge debt to God with our sin, a debt that you and I could never pay. And Jesus offered his own blood as the payment. You are at peace with God. Jesus came to redeem his creation, to bring you back to God pay the ransom, to forgive your sins, to show you love. So, bring him incense, gold and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. 
We should. But does it make sense that we own Jesus? I guess you can say that. Whenever you say that Jesus is my Savior, you are taking ownership of Christ. You are applying to yourself everything that Jesus has done. He was born to do. He lived and died and rose to do. You are applying that to yourself. You're saying, I'm safe with my Savior, Jesus. I read something in preparation for tonight that I just had to share with you guys because I thought it was so beautiful. That the biggest threat that sin can make is to kill. But Jesus, by dying, has exhausted sin of its power. Makes me think, in my mind, of a boxer who ran out of energy at about round four, and now it's round nine. You could topple that boxer with just one punch. That's sin. Jesus has rendered sin exhausted and powerless in the ring. It has no more threat to you. What's the worst that sin and Satan could do to you? Kill you? Well, look at what happened to Jesus. Jesus died, but he didn't stay dead. He came back, rendering it powerless. Jesus has defanged and declawed sin itself. Remember that the next time Satan tries to throw your sin, your guilt in your face. Remember that the next time you're stuck in a cycle of temptation and you're wondering if you're ever going to get out. Sin is not your master anymore. Jesus is. You are free. You are forgiven. He has knocked sin out. The worst that sin could threaten against you would be to kill you. But in Christ, you know that not even death is going to separate you from his love and life with him forever. Own that. Come, peasant king, to own Jesus. Say with us, this is our Savior. But when you own Jesus, aren't you confessing at the same time that he owns you? That, he, that you belong to him as much as, if not more, than he belongs to you? You are Jesus' kingdom. You are in his realm. In his dominion, you belong to Christ. Your life is hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ in God. So should we bring him incense, gold, and myrrh? I mean, I don't have any of that stuff, so I don't know. What, what can we bring to Jesus? Well, nothing, really. He's the creator. Everything belongs to him that is on earth. The earth itself belongs to Christ. You couldn't pony up to Jesus anything that isn't already rightfully his, can you? And you can't give Jesus anything to make his life any better. You can't give Jesus anything to make him love you anymore. You can't give Jesus anything to make him forgive you anymore. But what should we give? What should we bring to Jesus? Well, everything not just our gold and incense and myrrh because jesus died on the cross to redeem more than just your wallet more than just your stuff more than just your body more than just your time jesus suffered death and rose from the dead to do more for you than to just cause you to think about him every once in a while jesus wants the whole thing he died and rose to redeem your whole self, to rescue all of you from the dominion of darkness. And he wants you as his own. He wants your whole heart. He wants you now to see your life as hidden in him, in God. 
to view everything, your relationships, your responsibilities, your actions, your decisions through the lens of your redemption with Christ, the gift of your relationship with God given back to you, to reorder your life according to that new truth that you are saved, you are in Christ's kingdom, and he wants, to see, he wants you to see yourself as part of his body, the church. And when we say church, we're not talking about the building. We're talking about the people. That Jesus dwells among us wherever the word and sacrament are preached and given. Wherever the gospel reigns in its truth and purity. Wherever Christians gather to speak to one another the truths that we know about who Christ is and what he has done for us. And what that means for us now. That's Jesus ruling in his kingdom. We are his kingdom, his church. What child is this? So much more than just a child. This is your king, your creator king, your redeemer. This is, in that manger, your reason for living. This is your everything. Amen.